0: If let's say you're struggling with, I I know I need to have an entity, but I don't know what it is. You know, there's a ton of stuff that's been written about that. There's lots of resources out there. Don't just put it off and think it'll take care of itself because nothing takes care of itself. As an entrepreneur, as a business owner, that's something you definitely need to dive into and check off your list and say, good. Okay, I decided I'm going to be an LLC. I've gone through the motions. Check. There I go.
1: Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. We're very privileged today to speak with Emily Chase-Smith. Emily is an author of the upcoming book, The Financially Savvy Entrepreneur, that helps business owners navigate the money maze of running a business. She's the host of the Money Morsels podcast. She's also speaking at the podcast movement this August 2014 in Dallas, Texas. And uh, last time I checked, she's pretty decent on the ukulele Emily, we're ready to tango with mother money and not step on our toes. Welcome to the show. I
0: love it. How are you doing?
1: (laughs) I'm good. Good. So right before we hit record, I heard a little bit of music in the background. And why don't we just go ahead and let the listener in on our joke about ukuleles?
0: Well, I think it started when I was listening to your podcast. And back then, you would kind of take popular songs and you'd kind of put your own words to it. And you had one. And, and, you know, just frankly, it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was so fun and so you had one and for some reason this one you did just made me laugh i didn't even know what song it was i went and looked it up and i found the chords for it and i recorded you a ukulele version of just that yes, little piece did. that you had done first time i ever did that it just was fun you're fun the whole thing was fun i'd been playing my uke a lot and uh yeah so i sent this to you you enjoyed it apparently so,
1: oh i loved it so yeah.
0: now the uke is kind of a running joke
1: it is we've talked about eventually at some conference like busting out a band totally and we haven't done it yet but we tried
0: at new media expo with your friend and i figured out what he brought were (laughs) kazoos and i was so bummed that we didn't make it happen
1: but that was peter billing yes
0: yes because i heard him be interviewed and i was like he's the kazoo guy yes
1: yes Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah we'll make it happen eventually that was a busy conference that new media expo so
1: it was it we'll talk about conferences because you're a connoisseur apparently (laughs) so you know this is coming Emily what's the best concert that you've ever been to okay
0: this is a question I was like if he doesn't ask me I'm going to be so disappointed (laughs) (laughs) but my favorite concert and I'm not a huge concert goer but we lived in Prague Czech Republic for five years and I think my daughter was about nine and Abba came into town and Mm -hmm. they broke up a gazillion years ago but it was the girls and then two substitute dudes But it was like all the music from the 70s, all the fun ABBA craziness. And the first time I had ever heard ABBA, I was sitting in a friend's room, like at the same age, like seven, eight, nine. And she had a record player and her mom had given her an ABBA record. And so we just rocked out to that thing. So it was so fun to kind of connect like. Here they are. Here's my daughter. Here's my history.
1: Just super fun stuff. Absolutely. Now, can you play Dancing Queen on the ukulele? I
0: cannot. Not yet. But if I have the chords, that's the great thing about the uke. You can play (laughs) anything on it. I can't play the guitar (laughs) for beans, but the uke only has four strings.
1: (laughs) I think that's all in your head, Emily. I think you could play the guitar. I really do.
0: Yeah. A lot of years of guitar teachers would tell you differently, but uh uh-huh.
1: All (laughs) right. Duly noted. Okay, so I I didn't know you lived in Prague. That's interesting. We did for five years. It was fantastic. Okay, so let's do a fill in the blank. My favorite thing about Prague is blank.
0: That it's a fantastic walking city. For years, the first three years that we lived there, we didn't have a car and we took public transportation and walked everywhere and it was fantastic. There's just beautiful architecture to look at, fantastic culture, decent food. It's just a fun place to walk around and hang out.
1: It seemed like it was moderately priced, too, compared to most cities in Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I went there, I think 89 was the first time I had ever been. I was in law school, and I went on a summer break with a friend who was Czech, who had lived in California for a year, and she felt really weird about going back, because they had only been out of communism for like two years, and she felt very Western, and so I really got to experience it through her eyes. Back then, it was ridiculously dirt cheap, like order two dinners because you don't know what you want, and it costs nothing dirt cheap. Wow. Yeah, When we were there, it was still moderately priced, and it's coming up with the rest of the West.
1: Okay. Well, speaking of moderately priced, next fill-in-the-blank, <laughs> one thing that everyone should know when planning a family vacation to the Grand Canyon is...
0: Oh, you got to go on the railroad. you got to go on the railroad. That's the best part. The Grand Canyon Railroad is super-duper fun. That was the best part about our trip.
1: Cool. All right. Next fill-in-the-blank, if you ever rebrand and relaunch your podcast...
0: You will find it is a pain in the patoot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that may be the quote of the podcast. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> We're going to come back to that. Yeah.
0: You know, I've been sure. doing, this is my, actually my third podcast. I did a mommy podcast years ago. And then I had the financially savvy entrepreneur for well over a year. And you just, you have momentum, you have all your artwork, you have your systems, you have your VA. And then when you stop that and you rebrand and you think through what you want to do, you got to ramp it all up again. It's like stopping a bicycle on a hill and then you got to get going again. So we're still in the get going again phase.
1: Okay. So since we're on the subject of the podcast, what's the difference between the two?
0: Yeah. The Entrepreneur's Money Podcast. So I have a good friend, the one I did the mommy podcast with, and she's like, I love your podcast, but I hate the name because it stresses me out. She's a business owner. She goes, it doesn't sound fun to listen to. And I was like, oh, it's a bummer. And at the same time I was doing, it was an interview show. So every episode was an interview but it was really much more general business than money and with the book coming out and me getting hyper focused on the connection between being financially savvy and business success i really wanted the podcast to reflect that so that's what the rebrand was all about
1: and it's official now it's out and available for anyone to enjoy it
0: is we just launched Yep.
1: Congratulations. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I have not listened yet, but I will. All right. Let's talk a little bit about business and your family line had a trademark for business ventures. So what impact has entrepreneurship and business in your family had on you?
0: Well, you know what? I grew up knowing that my great-grandparents were very self-made. My great-grandfather was a citrus farmer in Santa Barbara County, and he started as kind of a foreman and a picker, and he moved himself up to owning, he probably had a good hundred acres of citrus up in Santa Barbara. My dad was an architect. He had his own firm, and he did uh, a lot of spec homes and churches and schools. Um, So I was sort of raised that way. Business was something that was talked about around the dinner table.
1: You mentioned earlier, you talked about law school. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Why did you decide to take on law and then specifically bankruptcy?
0: (laughs) Well, I always say as a firstborn child, never say the words law school to your parents or your fate is sealed. That (laughs) is what's going to happen for you. I was young. I started law school at 19 because I said that to my parents and my dad's a professional and his dad was a doctor. And so that sounded like a good thing to do. It was not a good fit for me. It took me a long time to figure out how do I take this kind of profession that doesn't really fit with my personality or my style, I'm not aggressive, I don't like to argue, And kind of turn it into something that's going to work for me and bring value to the world. And so I had practiced in a lot of different areas when I was a younger lawyer. One of my favorite jobs, I called my Jerry Springer job. I represented mobile home park owners up and down the state of California. So (laughs) whenever anything crazy went down at the mobile home park, I was there. Like I'm the one who tried that case. So that was always fascinating.
1: (laughs) So what kind of crazy stuff did you see? Oh
0: my gosh. Well, I had one guy (laughs) who used to save up his urine and put it on his neighbor's lawn because he was mad at them. There was another guy who used to meet the junior high bus with pornography and he would trade them pages out of whatever magazine for cigarettes, lots of drugs, lots of crazy stuff went down at mobile home parks.
1: Yeah. Wow. All right, Emily. Thank you for sharing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember I was hugely pregnant with my first daughter and I went to get a restraining order against this park resident who was threatening the park manager and kind of all went down in the court or whatever. And we're walking out of the courtroom after I'd gotten a restraining order And the guy walks in, and he's late, and he's mad. And I can see he's going to go after my park manager. And so I step in between the two of them. And I think that was kind of my aha moment. Like, what am I doing? I'm like, giantly pregnant, protecting this mobile home park manager. So the bailiff came, and all was well. But that was not to be my future.
1: (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. So what happened once you had that aha moment?
0: Yeah. So then I thought, you know, how can I use this and my experience to really be of help and be a practice area that makes sense for me and is really of help. And so when we moved back from Prague in 2009, it was almost like a chance to be, to have, start all over again and be whatever I wanted to be. And so I look back through all the different practice areas that I had engaged in up until that time, and bankruptcy was definitely the one. And because it was entrepreneurial, I worked with almost exclusively small business owners. And it was good because you are taking somebody who's in a tough spot and moving them to a better spot, but it's brutal because it's bankruptcy and nobody wants to be there. It's like being at the periodontist. You are there for a root canal and this is going to suck.
1: Wow. Go (laughs) ahead.
0: Super popular I was. Again, super popular.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about law for just a moment. So what makes a good law and what does it?
0: A good law like law on the books?
1: Okay, let's go there. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's funny because there is a precept in the law that you are deemed to be familiar with all the laws in your jurisdiction, which is hilarious as I'm speaking to my kids about this. You know, kids always want to know, are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to do that? What if you do that? I And so, "Well, you're presumed to know what's in all these laws. But if you take them to the law library, it's like... Just for the federal and state laws, it's bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves. So what makes a good law is that it's one that's understandable and you can apply it. You really know what you're supposed to be doing. Unfortunately, the way our legal system is, is they just kind of layer new laws on top of old laws. And at this point, it's just
1: completely unwieldy. Being someone who's familiar with the law and you're also a business owner yourself, what's the best practical advice that you can give to your fellow entrepreneurs?
0: It's one of those things that you have to educate yourself in. And I like to remind entrepreneurs, you learned a lot of skills to start your business. And this is just another skill that you need to know and something that you need to understand. And so whether or not it's fun for you, whether or not you're excited to do it, there's definitely a way that you can learn it and apply it to your business, just the amount that you need. So go out, find the resources. If let's say you're struggling with, I I know I need to have an entity, but I don't know what it is. You know, there's a ton of stuff that's been written about that. There's lots of resources out there. Don't just put it off and think it'll take care of itself because nothing takes care of itself. As an entrepreneur, as a business owner, that's something you definitely need to dive into and check off your list and say, good. Okay. I decided I'm going to be an LLC. I've gone through the motions. Check. There I go.
1: You mentioned there's a lot of resources. Is there one that comes to mind that you would say, hey Jared, go check this out?
0: Well, for entities, LegalZoom has this really cool thing where you can go through and answer a bunch of questions and they'll recommend an entity for you. So that's fantastic. But most professionals will consult with you for their hourly fee. And usually it doesn't take you much more than an hour to get out of a good professional what you need, because frankly your stuff's not that complicated. It's what they do all day. So if your lawyer's hourly rate is three hundred bucks, throw down three hundred bucks and ask him or her all your questions. And then again, check, you're good.
1: So Emily, from your perspective, what's the secret to being financially stable in any kind of business that you're in?
0: Really, it's keeping your finger on the financial pulse of your business. That idea of it's not going to take care of itself. I need to take care of it. So you need to have systems in place where you're really looking at what's going on in your business financially. Because inside those numbers they'll tell the story of your business and when you know the story of your business you know how to advance what's working for you and dial back what's not working for you and that's all in your numbers and if you have a system for actually having those numbers and digging into those numbers and taking action on those numbers you're ahead of a ton of your competitors.
1: So you have a a book coming up, it's The Financially Savvy Entrepreneur. Would you be willing just to talk a a little bit about your book and what compelled you to write that?
0: Sure. You know, it really comes out of my time as a bankruptcy attorney and working with small business owners. I began to sort of feel like the Coast Guard where I was pulling small business owners out of the water over and over again. And I liked doing it. Like I said, it was an area that I could be helpful in, but it started to get to the point where I was like, doggone it, I wish we could have talked like a year or two earlier because we wouldn't be in this situation. Because when a business owner is filing a personal bankruptcy, that's like insult to injury. Your business is already going down the tubes and it's taking you down personally as well. So it's just such a painful process. And it's one of those things like ER doctors are always the ones that'll tell you, make sure your kids wear a helmet when they ride their bike or their skateboard because they see the fallout. And so that's really where I'm coming from and why I wrote the book is just seeing over and over and over again, the same things happening and pulling people out of the water and saying, instead of being the Coast Guard, I'd really rather be the lighthouse. I'd really rather say, hey, let's be financially savvy and let's avoid these rocks altogether. And I never want you to have to sit in a bankruptcy attorney's office.
1: So when does the book launch? It comes out the 23rd of June. 23rd of June. So coming really soon. All right. So is this the first book that you've written? Yes. So what was that process like for you? You know what? It's a lot easier than
0: I thought it would be. I bought um, Michael Hyatt. He has an ebook about how to write a nonfiction book query or book proposal. So I bought that. It was like 25, 35 bucks. I followed it to the T because who knows better than Michael Hyatt, right? <laughs> and then I bought the uh, book of agents on Amazon. It's, this was last year. So it was the 2013 book of literary agents. And that's all organized by subject matter in the back. So it'll tell you what agents want to rep business books. And now you don't even have to send anything out. I just did it all at my computer. And I just sent my query out to agent after agent. Until one of them said, yeah, I think this is a good idea. And then after that, it was his job to sell the book. And so I just let him do his job.
1: Wow. You make it sound so easy. Is it really that easy? You
0: know what? It wasn't. I just always thought it's this big honking deal. And writing the book was harder than the whole process of getting an agent and getting it sold. Mostly because if I had to do it again, I would do it differently. And if you're anticipating doing this, this is what I would advise you. And it sounds ridiculous. You can't just lay over what you're already doing, hey, I'm gonna write a book, you know? Mm -hmm. You have to take something out to make room for that. And I didn't do that. So I was still doing everything I was doing. Plus, I had a deadline for this book. So that ended up not being fun.
1: So how did you manage that? I went away. (laughs) I told my
0: husband and my kids, hey, I'm just going to go down like a half an hour south of us is a little town. Carlsbad. I'm going to rent a hotel. I'm going to hole up there for like four days and I'm going to finish this thing. And that's what I did. And I did it before Christmas because my deadline wasn't until I think mid-January. But I thought if I just let this thing linger on through the new year, it's it's not going to be fun. So let's just wrap it up before Christmas, get to the publisher and have a good holiday. So that's what I did. And you did. Yeah.
1: So why did you decide to do a traditional published book versus a self-published book?
0: I really wanted the media attention that comes with having a traditionally published book. I wanted a publisher that could open doors that I couldn't open otherwise to more traditional media.
1: And okay, so now that you're, you're going to be doing the traditional published book, it's coming out at the end of June. So what opportunities have opened up, if any, from that decision?
0: Well, I just got an email from the publisher that said, hey, here's the PR person we've assigned you. And, and I looked her up. Her name is Tess Woods, and she's a heavy hitter. So that just came through the day. And I thought, gosh, that's really exciting. I mean, she's worked with Madeleine Albright and Zig Ziglar and a ton of different publishers. So, I mean, I'm super excited. Right now is the time where you're kind of laying that plan and that foundation because you don't want to do any of it before the book's available and the book's not available at the end of June. So right. the email kind of said, "Hey, she'll be contacting you. You guys will be putting together a plan, yada yada yada." But I mean, in my normal life, I would never have access to somebody like that and, you know, I don't know what they're paying her, but <laughs> it's not me paying her, so that's the good part.
1: Well, I just love how you just picked up a little course online from Michael Hyatt and a book from Amazon and did a little bit of work and, okay, here we go. I know. <laughs> like that? Well and that's that to me is so cool. That's
0: why the Michael Hyatt piece was so important, because in that little ebook he tells you this is what publishers are looking for and he just walks you through. And it's like thirty five pages. It's not even that big of a deal. But he tells you, yeah. here are the different sections, he helps you look professional, and he tells you what not to say, what's gonna make you sound like a rookie. So I mean I thought was the best 25, 35 bucks I ever spent.
1: Yeah, duly noted. I hope uh, people are taking notes here. Yeah. Okay, so Emily, I think this is the part of the podcast, the exercise portion where you bust out the ukulele. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Now, I just would like to say I am not a professional ukulele player, I'm a beach <laughs> ukulele player. I play for the beach and Alzheimer's patients, so I'm just going to warn you. <laughs>
1: Alright we'll post edit that We might have the to do a couple, to know that. <laughs>
0: a couple Takes on this But I have my favorite Spongebob song for you okay. F is my friend To do things together U is for you and me N is for anyone
1: That was awesome. You like
0: that?
1: Yeah, I think that if the book deal doesn't work out, you have potential. Yeah,
0: don't quit your day job, huh?
1: (laughs) That's not how I frame that. (laughs) I wonder if Michael Hyatt has a book on uh, how to get a record deal. There you go, how to sell your
0: ukulele record.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Emily. That was one of the cooler moments I've had on the show. (laughs) I'm excited.
0: You should have heard my kids and I singing that last night. They were cracking up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let's switch gears here just for a little bit. We talked a little bit about some conferences earlier, and, and you have been to some interesting conferences. What are a few of your favorites, and what's your advice for conference attendees this year?
0: Well, as a podcaster, I never miss New Media Expo, and this year, ended up being a big deal that I went because I was able to meet Dan Miller, who ended up mm. writing an endorsement for my book, so that was a big deal. Very um, big. Yeah. The, you have access at these conferences to people like that that you would never have access to otherwise. Michael Hyatt was there. I stalked him. Pretty much anybody you want to meet is going to be at New Media Expo. I met John Lee Dumas there a couple of years ago before he was, you know, seriously John Lee Dumas. And you know, he came on my show and he gave me a free advertisement on his show. You know, and of course now he's giant. Jamie Tardy, Pat Flynn, Chris Ducker, you know, all those
1: guys are at the conferences. It's incredible. Yeah. And you're also a fan of FinCon, right?
0: I am. I went and I spoke last year and that was pretty cool because, you know, when you're a money nerd, it's pretty awesome to be in a room of other money nerds because we don't come out, you know, into the light that often. So <laughs> that was pretty fun. And I met a gal there, Beverly Hersog, who had my same publisher. And at that point, I had just started on the process. This was like in October, FinCon 2013. And so that was fantastic. That was just serendipitous. I went to listen to her speak. And so she kind of let me know, you know, and this was not her first book, you know, what a great publisher it was. And so that was really, really helpful. I felt like, hey, I'm on the right track. So the people you meet and the discussions you have at these conferences are just
1: absolutely invaluable. That's fantastic. And Emily, you and I met at an event. Would you be willing to share that story?
0: That's right. We met at the Chris Ducker Pat Flynn event in San Diego. It was their very first mastermind. And there were 25 people there. And I think we each got 15, 20 minutes, I want to say, where they just kind of, they brought our website up on the big screen. And you were able to ask whatever questions you had about your business. And you got their best ideas and the best ideas of everybody else in the room. Yeah. And out of that, I met you. You were there. I had a mastermind group with a couple other gals that I met there for quite a while uh, that was super-duper helpful. Uh, Annie, who does ParentingGroove.com, and Yolanda, yep. who, who does Yoongdu.com, a uh, Tibetan website. So yeah. Oh, and Stephanie Palmer was there, right? Good yes, in the room. Awesome. Yeah. Just a ton of amazing people were there.
1: And Ryan Rodden.
0: I of course, know. Ryan. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> awesome and, and uh, i were
0: at fincon together i mean we went out to dinner with he and his wife and we saw tommy lasorda yeah it's all that kind of crazy stuff happens <laughs> at conferences yeah
1: that is crazy well we had dinner at nmx that was fun we uh, did we a little reunion group dinner we did one day business breakthrough that was awesome it was awesome all right so emily i really appreciate this i think this is one of the my favorite episodes i'm gonna put that out there See, ukulele of favorite does episodes bam i'm that out to ever <laughs> With Emily Chase Smith. All right, so Emily, uh, there's going to be people who have interest in checking out your podcast and obviously picking up their copy of your book. So what's the best place for the listeners to connect with you online?
0: You know, it all lands at emilychasesmith.com. You can find it all there, the link to the podcast. I've got some resources, some courses I teach on bringing financial savvy to your business. The book link is there, blog too. So there's just a lot of good stuff. I try to make that excellent resource, a ton of free stuff for people who really want to bring financial savvy to their business. Because it's my goal that you know, nobody has to go through a bankruptcy. Because as business owners, we work so hard. We pour our time and our energy and everything we have into our business. And if you can add that financially savvy piece and bring that alongside, you have such a better chance of succeeding. And so that's really where my passion is.
1: Well said. Emily, who's doing something that interests you?
0: Oh gosh, there's a ton of people that interest me. I've started reading more and more in my own niche and so I really love Greg Crabtree's book. I think it's Simple Numbers, Something Else and Big Profits. It's orange and it's such a fantastic book. I've just learned a ton so I would encourage people to read in their own niche. I read a lot of financial business books for that reason because it just brings so much more to how I can coach and blog and podcast about things that are really relevant to
1: people. And Emily, you mentioned earlier that Dan Miller endorsed your book. Did you have any other rock star celebrities endorse your book?
0: Yeah, John Janst endorsed it from Duct Tape Marketing.
1: There was one other giant celeb.
0: Oh, it was Jared Easley.
1: <laughs> you know that was my aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: publisher. So I sent them a list. I think there were like twelve. I mean, David Saitman Garland gave me a great endorsement. There were a lot of great people who endorsed the book, and so I sent it all to the publisher, and they picked three for the back cover. They picked Dan Miller, John jance and Jared Easley. <laughs> I kid you not. I was so I don't know excited. How in the
1: world we persuaded them to do Yeah, that, I had to that. send it
0: to you. I was like, check it out. <laughs>
1: When you sent me that image, I immediately, that was like the coolest day. I went and shared that with my mom and my family. I was like, look at this. There's hope for me. There's
0: hope for me. When's your book coming out? That's the real question.
1: Well, apparently I have to go get a book by Michael Hyatt and then... uh, the other book recommendation that you've done. But I thought about it. So n- never say never, Emily. I-, I will probably be asking you, I'll probably be getting you back on the show here in a few months and say, here's what I've done, grade me on it. How about that?
0: That'd be awesome. It's so exciting. My 13-year-old, I had an advanced copy of the book and an author read or whatever, and I put it on my candle because I was taking her to the pool and I, wanted, I had to read through it. And she goes, is that your book? And I said, yeah. She goes, oh my gosh, my mom wrote a book. And it was hilarious because she's been with me through this whole process, right? I went to Carlsbad right. for four days, but when it was on my Kindle and it looked like a real book, she was like, Oh my gosh. And I thought, what are you teaching your kids? Like, yeah, your mom wrote a book. You can write a book. You can go to the moon. What do you want to do? You can do
1: that. Yeah, that's good. All right, Emily, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
0: Not really. I have a good time chatting with you, Jared. That's all. <laughs>
1: well then yeah, you can go to the moon. But... <laughs> go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> And well, best wishes to you and your family, your book launch, the new podcast, and uh, ukulele concerts to come.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Jared. So then I thought, you know, how can I use this and my experience to really be of help and be a practice area that makes sense for me and is really of help. And so when we moved back from Prague in 2009, it was almost like a chance to be, to start all over again and be whatever I wanted to be. And so I look back through all the different practice areas that I had engaged in up until that time and bankruptcy was definitely the one. And because it was entrepreneurial, I worked with almost exclusively small business owners. And it was good because you are taking somebody who's in a tough spot and moving them to a better spot, but it's brutal because it's bankruptcy and nobody wants to be there. It's like being at the periodontist. You are there for a root canal and this is going to suck.